Wow, it is, uh, this is quite the crowd. I'm so glad that uh, many of you have chosen to come and gather with us today. Uh, excited to be uh, a part of, of what is happening uh, going forward. Excited about where our, um, uh, our progress is in our building construction. I hope you've seen the uh, videos online and, uh, and just see what, what's happening there. So excited to get back in, but thankful to Arlington High School. They would allow us to be in here today. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Acts chapter 13. That's where we're going to be today. But it's been a minute since we've actually been in Acts, and so I thought it would be a good idea to give you a little recap about Acts today, just so you know uh, kind of where we're leading up to. We're at really kind of a natural break in Acts chapter 13 because the shift kind of, uh, the focus kind of shifts a little bit, and so it'll be kind of a natural break to pick up from here. But I'll give you the, uh, the kind of synopsis of where we've been. So Acts chapter 1 uh, it begins with Jesus' final instructions to his disciples before he ascended into heaven. And they are told there to wait at Jerusalem for the promised Holy Spirit. They're like, Jesus said, it's better that I go away and, it's, and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit who will come. And then uh, after that, uh, Matthias was chosen to replace Judas Iscariot among the 12 apostles. Move on to chapter 2. Uh, so on the day of Pentecost in chapter 2, the Holy Spirit descends uh, on those, um, on the disciples, and there was this miraculous uh, time of speaking in various languages, and Peter tells, uh, he, de- he uh, uh, delivers this powerful sermon. There's a conversion of about 3,000 people, and then it, uh, Acts chapter 2 describes the early community of the Christian church, and uh, they were talking about, uh, in, in there they were recording their unity together, their devotion to to, uh, uh, the sharing of the gospel. Chapter 3 uh, sees Peter and John healing this lame beggar that they uh, found at the beautiful gate uh, to the temple, and that attracted a lot of attention to those guys then uh, over what was happening and that, that miracle because a lot of people had seen this guy, uh, a lame out there for his entire life, and they healed him there at the gate. And then Peter seizes that moment to go, now that I've got all of your attention, I'm going to preach the gospel to you and telling them about Jesus. It was Jesus who was the one who healed him. And, uh, and more conversions we saw at that point. Chapter 4, uh, Peter and John are arrested for doing that very thing, uh, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, but they were boldly proclaiming their faith. They were not ashamed. They were not ashamed of the gospel. It is my prayer for us that we won't be ashamed of the gospel, no matter where we are and where we might go, no matter what the crowd looks like around us, that we will not be ashamed of the gospel. Uh, believers start sharing their possessions. Then they all recognize their unity and that there were needs within the church. And so as everyone had need, the Christians were meeting those needs uh, and the apostles began to perform some miracles, uh, things that only God could do. And he was choosing to use them as his vessel at the time. Chapter five, um, Ananias and Sapphira. Ooh, that was a spicy story. Uh, Ananias, Ananias and Sapphira lied about their offering that they gave and and, um, and there were severe consequences, including death. So watch yourselves. Just kidding. Um, uh, and the apostles, again, continued to perform miracles along the way. Uh, they continued to preach. 
um, there was this respected Pharisee. He was, uh, he, was, uh, he was called Gamaliel, and he was opposing the apostles at the time. And so we read the story about that. Chapter 6, uh, the early church faced some internal struggles. That I'm glad they got that over with in the early church, so there are never any internal struggles in the church today. Uh, but they decided that they needed to have some deacons. And so deacons were appointed, uh, we see in uh, chapter 6, uh, Stephen was one of those who was appointed a deacon at the time, and, and deacons were appointed so that the elders of the church could continue to do what they're called to do, preach and pray and study the word. That's what elders are called to do, and deacons were called to go, there are needs that need to be met, and you deacons do that so that the elders of the church can continue to study the word and deliver the word when that time comes. So Stephen again was declared full of the Holy Spirit in chapter 6. And chapter 7 is Stephen's big declaration, his sermon that he preaches, and he preaches it boldly, and he, um, uh, he traced Israel's kind of history uh, about uh, where, where, where they had been, and so he kind of traced through the Old Testament, and he accused the Jewish leaders that were listening to him of rejecting the Messiah that they had been talking about for their entire existence in coming, but they had actually rejected the true uh, God's true messenger who was Jesus. And so the uh, people in that day, they were angry and they stoned Stephen. If you were at part of our gathering time during that time, we reenacted that and we stoned, who'd we stone? Josh Holly. If he was here today, I just stone, would stone him again, just for kicks and giggles. Uh, and so Stephen became the first Christian martyr. Chapter 8 saw um, the persecution of the church and how the church got scattered uh, after, uh, during that time. And, and honestly, it, even though it seemed kind of weird that they were being persecuted and they're like, why are we being scattered around? And I, I, God was actually using that so that the gospel would spread. And so they were like, it's what seemed like a bad thing. God turned into a good thing so the gospel could be spread. And so Philip, who was one of the deacons in the church during that time, um, he speaks to a Samaritan and then later an Ethiopian eunuch. We talked about that story about the Ethiopian eunuch and him appearing and then uh, to him and sharing the gospel with him. Chapter 9, Saul, who was a persecutor of Christians, um, encounters the risen Jesus on the road uh, uh, to Damascus and uh, becomes a believer. Uh, which is really incredible because, uh, and, and it's not something just by chance. It was not something he just happened to be there. We believe the sovereignty of God in all things, and God had sovereignly placed him there. And so they would have that encounter with Jesus, um, and he began to preach the gospel. And there we also saw a centurion and his entire household become Christians, uh, and they were the first Gentile converts, those who were not of Israel, but they were the first Gentile converts that we read about in Acts. Chapter 11, uh, um, Peter faced a lot of criticism because of his association with the Gentiles. But he said, I would love it that if my people, my, uh, uh, my, my kinsmen would actually come to know the Lord, but I've been sent and I'm actually going to be actually sent to the Gentiles. And so uh, we see the church in Antioch uh, in chapter 11, and it becomes kind of the hub for Christianity uh, as the New Testament was bursting onto the scene. And then chapter 12 is where we wrapped up last time. Uh, King Herod Agrippa I persecutes the church. He executed James, the brother of John. Peter is arrested in chapter 12, uh, but miraculously escapes the prison uh, and uh, was helped out by an angel. Uh, and then Herod meets this gruesome end, and really he, and I think the Lord put that in there to highlight God's sovereignty even over rulers. 
There's nobody outside of the sovereignty of God. It doesn't matter if you're a president, a ruler, a king, you or me. None of us are outside the sovereignty of God and his hand and his decisions and what he chooses to do. And chapter 12 certainly uh, um, exposed that for us. And so these 12 chapters really set the stage for the expansion of Christianity uh, throughout the rest of the world. And so... um, We will get into that in chapter 13 today. So again, hope you're in chapter 13. We're going to read the first 12 verses. So follow along with me, if you will, in your Bible, on your app, whatever you are using, and we'll uh, we'll look at those. Chapter 13. Now uh, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord, uh, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, "Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them." Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their, laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogue to the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for that's the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Let me pray for us one more time, and we will dive into today's text. Lord, it is uh, incredible, again, just to read the story of you bursting the church onto the scene. And uh, Holy Spirit, it is our prayer today, just as you were working then, you'll do some of those same kinds of works uh, in and among and through us today in in Arlington and Lakeland and in this surrounding area that you will do some of the same kinds of things. Uh, Let the Holy Spirit's work be seen tangibly. May the gospel be uh, propelled into our neighborhoods and our homes, our neighborhoods, our city, so that more people will come to know the Lord Jesus. That is our prayer. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're back to the first four verses. Let's read those first four verses again. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And so I think it's interesting to look at specifically at verse two, it says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. And I would encourage you if you're a writer in your Bible, and I hope you are, I would just encourage you to circle the verb, the word while and underline those words, worshiping the Lord, circle and, and underline fasting. 
That's an interesting thing to me as I read through this text because they were in the middle of worshiping God whenever, he, whenever the Spirit spoke to them. All of us want to hear from the Spirit, right? I mean, all of us want to hear from God. Many times I talk to people both in this church and outside of this church, and they're like, I don't know what to do, but I need a word from the Lord. I don't know what to do, but I need God to speak to me. I don't know what to do, but I wish the, word, the, the Lord would give me a sign, would give me a word to, so that I know what to do in X, Y, or Z situations. Any of you been that way? Raise your hand if you've ever wanted the Lord to just show you what to do. Yeah, we all want the Lord to direct us in some way. We all want the Lord to teach us in some way. We all want the Lord to make our decisions straight. And many times, we just wait but what we see the early church doing, and, and I would just say the church doing, because it's what the church should be doing today whenever we're asking and seeking for God's guidance into something, is to do these very things, same things, to worship the Lord and fast. Worship the Lord and fast. We see it all through the scriptures and happening, yet we're so anemic in it today. Worshiping the Lord sometimes means that's just by yourself. Sometimes maybe you're driving down the highway, you're listening to some, some songs on the radio or on your iPod or whatever, uh, on your phone or whatever the thing, iPod. <laughs> hey, I'm from the 90s, baby. <laughs> are, those th- are those things still a thing? Yeah, I didn't think so. Okay, your phone. You know, your, your playlist on your phone that you're listening to or, or whatever the thing is, you're by yourself and you're worshiping the Lord. Or maybe it's with a group of people. And I would say this. Um, Refuge Church, it is imperative that we gather together to worship the Lord. It is imperative that this become a regular piece of your regular life. If you're new to Refuge, I've met a ton of you who are new to Refuge today that are visiting, checking us out, seeing what this is all about, saw our ads on you know, social media or whatever. The same thing applies to you. If you're a follower of Jesus, it is imperative that you gather with a church family to worship the Lord together. We'd love to have you at Refuge, but if this is not your thing and you go, Wait, man, Refuge is not my place, please tell us and we'll, we'll recommend some other places for you that preach the gospel, that sing the gospel, that uh, point people to Jesus, but it's, it's, in, it's imperative for us as followers of Jesus to worship the Lord together. And then you get to the fasting part. I'm going to tell you, for the vast majority of my life, I felt like this baby back here when I heard fasting. I, I'm like, no, I don't want to. I don't want to fast. Uh, because I'm like, I'm, I like to eat, you know. I can't skip a meal. I mean, I might dry up and blow away. I mean, what's going to happen? But the truth is, fasting is a spiritual discipline. Fasting is one of those things that we go, I'm going to abstain from intaking some food into my system so that whenever those hunger pains come, it reminds me to turn to the Lord. It reminds me to turn to the Lord and recognize, one, that he is my sustenance. He is the one who fills me. He is the one who sustains me. And that even in this time, whenever I'm looking for something else, I'm looking for an answer, he is the one who I look to. He is the one who can find, give me my answers. He is the one who can solve the issue that it is at hand. He is the only one that I should and depend on in any time of need, whether it be hunger or whether it be in the, this time of need of whatever I'm declaring. 
And so fasting is one of those spiritual disciplines that I go, you go, preacher, I don't even know how to fast. It's not, that, it's not what that sermon's about, but if you have questions about that, please find us and ask us. We'll help you along the way. We'll help you enter into what that looks like. Anyway, as, as they were doing these things, as they were in the middle of these, this spiritual discipline of fasting, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit said, so circle the Holy Spirit said in your Bible. So the Spirit literally spoke to them literally was audible to them and said, set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And so the Holy Spirit identified specific people for what he wanted to do, and the Spirit had a specific purpose for why he was setting them apart. He, see what it says? I set apart from me these two dudes for the work to which I have called them. The Spirit has work for us to do as followers of Jesus. It may not be something big and spectacular, but the Spirit, it, it may be something that you think is innocuous, and anybody can do that work. But if the Spirit calls you to do it, then think about that. God, the Holy Spirit, is calling you to do something. The same God that spoke the universe into existence and holds it into its orbit, the Scripture tells us, is the same God that is calling to you to do something to say something, to be part of something. That's a high calling. It doesn't have to be to do what I do. It Maybe it's something that you already know what it is. The Spirit's been talking to you about it. I would encourage you to follow up, to fast, to pray, and to just say yes to whatever it is that God is calling you to do. What is that thing? You know what that thing is. And so they said, one, uh, the scripture tells us that uh, once he said, set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And the Bible says, then after he, the spirit had spoken, after fasting again and praying, because before they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, spirit spoke to them. And it said, then after that, they fasted some more to make sure they were hearing things directly, clear heads, clear minds, clear hearts, can't lose uh, uh, they laid their hands on them and sent them out. Many times you've seen us lay hands on people at refuge. Uh, we do that because laying hands is one of those things that we're going, we agree with what the Spirit is doing. We agree with what God is calling these people to do. It's nothing special, but it's just something that is biblical. And so whenever we, God calls people, sometimes he sends people out. Sometimes he launches churches out. Sometimes he calls people to a different thing. And we lay hands on people, sometimes to pray for them when they're sick, sometimes to send them out to go, we believe what God is doing to you, and we're going to ask him to keep doing something mighty and good in you along the way. So the Bible says that after they were sent out by the Holy Spirit, who sent them out? Holy Spirit sent them out. Who else sent them out? Say it again. The church sent them out, yeah. So the Holy Spirit called them into this and then the church recognized this and the church sent them out. Listen, the church is a sending place. The church is a sending place that we send people. Our hope one day is that God's gonna raise up someone here at this church and we're gonna send them out to plant another church somewhere. Because you know what happens whenever churches get planted? More people hear the gospel. More people come to know Jesus. More people, are, are God, the Holy Spirit sends people to that new church plant. And our hope is that God's gonna raise someone up here at Refuge to be somebody we sent out, and we're gonna, maybe we'll send some of you out with them. God will call you into that same work. It'll be a joy for us when that time comes. They sent them out again, and we hope to do the same thing. 
So God's work uh, and, uh, happens through the means of grace. Prayer, fasting, hearing, lining up with what Scripture says, and then being in agreement. That's what that looks like. And that's what they were doing here in Acts chapter 13. So uh, here's what we do know this. God does the invisible work, and his people do the outer visible work. God is always at work. He's doing things that we can't see tangibly. He does the invisible things in our minds, in our hearts, in our souls, in our inner being, that still small voice. God is the one doing that work. It is up to you and me, church, to do the visible work he calls us to. Then look at uh, uh, what it says. So verse four says, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Verse five says this. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. And so that's the big thing, man. They, they proclaimed the word of God. You think that the thing that they proclaimed was a topical sermon? Here are four ways that you should sit still in a service. Here are four ways to make your life better. Here are five points that you should do X, Y, or Z. You think that was the sermon they preached that day? I doubt it. I have a, a high probability that they probably opened the word or knew the word and proclaimed the word of God, which, which is why expository preaching is so vital. Why do you think expository preaching is so vital? Say it again. Can't leave stuff out. Yeah, can't skip the hard stuff. What else? Can't add anything in. Yep. Sound doctrine, yeah. What else? Say, let the Bible speak for itself. Yep. What else? God's word never fails, but ours do. Those are good. Expository preaching delivers the word of God from the text to the hearers. All those things that you just said are absolutely true. Expository preachers can declare. I can stand up here. Anybody that stands in the pulpit at refuge can say, thus says the Lord, because we're going to open the Scriptures and let the Scriptures speak for themselves. Not, hey, this is what Scott thinks you need to hear today. But the Scriptures say and declare this, and this is how we can apply it to our lives today. We take our message, we take the application of the message from the biblical author under the Spirit's inspiration and deliver to you what it says. Look on in verse uh, 6 uh, and see what, the, see what the writer says. When they had gone through the whole island as far as, as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. So they came across this magician and the Bible identifies him as a false prophet. And I'm going to tell you, no matter what, you're going to encounter all types of people. You're going to encounter all types of people as you live this life that you live. Young people, you've got a lot of living to do ahead of you. You're going to encounter all types of people. You already have through your life, but just the more years you live, it's the more different personalities you're going to encounter, and especially in churches. There are multitudes of churches. We live in one of the most church cities in the country and in the Memphis and the Mid-South area. We, there are a lot of churches. And you could walk in the doors of a lot of different churches. Some of you say amen. We tried a lot of them, preacher. 
Some of you who are visiting today, you might go, hey man, we're on the hunt, preacher, and, and we know what you're talking about. But you're going to encounter lots of different people and lots of different preachers and lots of different doctrinal things whenever you go into people that call themselves preachers and or pastors. And some of them are false prophets. Some of them are false teachers. Some of them will lead you astray with twisting scriptures. They'll say enough of the things in the scripture just to make you think they're teaching something good. And then twist it and go, well, if he said this and I agree with him about this piece of scripture, then this other thing must be right, even though I may not see it. He's the preacher and I'm not, and so I have to trust him. Guard yourself when it comes to people who are teaching the word of God. This guy was identified as a false prophet. So the Bible says this false prophet was with Sergius Paulus, and he is the one uh, who was sent from Barnabas and Saul. But this bar Jesus opposed them. And so the, the Bible says that the magician was trying to turn the proconsul away from God. So he was trying to get the ruler there to turn away from God and turn in a different direction and trust his sayings rather than listening to what it was that God had to say. And this false prophet was being exposed and he knew it. The Bible tells us that. That he knew he was being exposed. And he got a little bit freaky about it. Uh, and so, so do most people whenever they get exposed if they're a false teacher. I'm of the opinion that because we know that happens and because there's so many people that teach doctrines that are contrary to the scriptures, it is important for us to put on the armor of God regularly. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12, talks about putting on the whole armor of God and how important it is for us to put on the whole armor of God. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 6 really quick, or I'll just read it to you. I'll just, I'm already there in chapter 6, verses 10. This is 10 through 12. This is what Paul writes. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against, what? The schemes of the devil. The schemes of the devil include those who are false teachers, false preachers. That's just part of it. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I would encourage you to think on that every day. Every morning when you wake up as a follower of Jesus, it's important to recognize that's what you and I are walking into. And it's important that we be able to discern what is true and what is not true. And so I know the doctrine of spiritual warfare has been perverted in a lot of ways and turned into this showy kind of thing. The truth is, uh, even though it's been distorted in the evangelical church, it's a real thing. Spiritual warfare is a real thing for you and me, Christian. 2 Corinthians uh, 10, verses 3 through 5 says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Let me say that one more time. For though we walk in the flesh, which means we are living and just living our lives in the flesh, in this body, we are not waging war against according to the flesh. Our battle is not with one another. Let me say it again. Our battle is not with one another. Amen? 
Yeah, we're, we're not called to fight with one another. For the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. We're not called to fight with one another. We're called to wage war spiritually. The power of the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 5 says this, verse 16 and 17, But I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. And what he's referring to is keep Christians from doing the things that we're called to do. Our flesh battles our inner man. Our flesh battles the Holy Spirit that lives within inside of us. Recognize that, church. Recognize that, that that's the battle we're fighting. And until we recognize that, then we're going to fight with one another. You're going to fight in your family. You're going to fight with your parents. You're going to fight with your neighbors. You're going to fight with anybody that you're fighting with right now until we realize that the vast majority of these are spiritual battles that we're fighting. You have an enemy, Satan, who every moment desires your demise as a spiritual person. The spiritual demise of each of you would be his goal. John chapter 10, verse 10 says, the thief comes to only to what? Steal what? Kill and what? Destroy. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And is, it is of that enemy, my enemy, your enemy, our enemy, that one Puritan uh, talked about this, and this is what he said. Uh, his name was William Gurnall. He said this, If thou dost not stumble at one stone, the devil hath another to ha- at hand to throw in the way. He is not so unskillful a foe as to go with one single shot into the field, and therefore expect him, as soon as he hath discharged one and missed thee, to, to let fly at thee with a second. I'll interpret the king's English for you. He basically says, You have an enemy. He, he lobs bombs at you often, and you must be ready and on guard all times in the Lord. Because he won't stop with one. He'll keep coming at you. He'll keep coming at you. It's our call to be ready and on guard. Spiritual warfare is not a game refuge. Spiritual warfare is not a game. This is what was happening. It's what... These guys were encountering here in Acts chapter 13. It is not a game. It is very serious business between you and God and sometimes on behalf of others. It is not a game. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4 says this, In their their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That is spiritual battles that are being waged against some of you in this room who are outside the household of faith, who have not yet believed the gospel, who are not Christians yet. There is a spiritual battle going on, hoping that you will not be awakened to the gospel. And our prayer for each of you is the Holy Spirit is going to awaken your eyes to the gospel. It's going to awaken your eyes to the glories of Jesus. It's going to awaken your eyes to there is hope found in Jesus. Not in your circumstances, not in your money you make, not in the place where you live, not in the school where you attend. 
But your hope is found in Jesus because all these things pass away. And so the spiritual battle tells us that there is a battle for our souls, our very beings. And so we have to be ready to fight these battles, especially when we encounter people who are outside the household of faith. You know that person that you're thinking of already that's outside the household of faith, that you desire and hope for and pray for, that God will save one day. Keep praying. Literally, if you have a prayer journal, you put it in your phone, you write it on your wall, however you do it, keep praying. We've seen God do miraculous things. It's taken decades, a decade sometimes to see people come to know the Lord. But he was still faithful. He heard the prayers of his people. Keep praying for people that are outside the household of faith. Be vigilant. Do not let your guard down. The, the Apostle Paul says, give no opportunity to let the devil, uh, to go, give no opportunity to the devil, for it is then when you least expect it that your enemy will choose to attack you and will choose to attack you mercilessly. This is a battle. 2024 makes us fall asleep. Be distracted with a thousand other things rather than the battle which is at hand. Second Corinthians 2.11 says, So we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Paul said, we know what's going on. We know there's a fight. That's why I'm, I believe I'm called today to remind us that in 2024, as we enter into this, that there's a fight that we're in. You will encounter, just like we see in Acts chapter 13, false teachers, false prophets, people to drive you away from the gospel. We are in a spiritual fight. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Seeking someone to devour. Who gets devoured by the lion? When you see those, you know, uh, I, I just saw a, a, a commercial that was, used to be Mutual of Omaha's, Wild Kingdom. Remember that? Who remembers the Wild Kingdom? Come on, old people. Yeah, you with me. Uh, I just saw a thing about that, and they would show like wild animals and how they would fight and all that kind of stuff, and I, there's different places you young people watch it today. But who gets devoured whenever we see those things? Who is it? The weak? What else? One by itself. The one not paying attention. The one with his head down. That's who gets devoured. Don't be that way, Christian. Be vigilant. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to, the, to, to devour. C.S. Lewis uh, said this, The enemy will not see you vanish into God's company without an effort to reclaim you. He will, your enemy will not see you uh, vanish into God's company without an effort to reclaim you. If there is discord between you and your spouse, do not, it ling do not let it linger throughout the day. I'll say that again. If there is discord between you and your spouse, do not let it linger throughout the day. If there is unforgiveness, forgive. If there is a, a sinful anger within you, root it out of your heart. Do not let it linger. I'll wrap this piece up to say this. 
Remember, in our flesh, we are only dust. Our bodies are a shell that holds our soul and our being together. But we are spiritual beings. The real you is a spiritual being. And our calling, followers of Jesus, is to go into each day in the power of His might, knowing that apart from Christ, we can actually do nothing, including to stand firm against the wiles of our enemy. And they knew that here in, chapter, in Acts chapter 13 as they encountered this false prophet. Now let's get back to our text. See what it says in verse 9. Let's back up to eight. But Elimus the magician, for that's the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith, which is what we just talked about. Let's keep going, verse nine. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, you will not stop making crooked the straight path. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, circle immediately in your Bible, immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. And so... Um, one thing I'll say this as just a sidebar. Uh, the Bible says Saul, who is also called Paul. Man, I grew up in a church that, uh, and heard it preached like, like passionately. Passionately. I grew up in a good, strong country, Southern Baptist church. Anybody, who, where y'all with me? Y'all with, who else? Come on, you know, you know, some of this. Some of this, you know what I'm saying? Grew up in, in, in a, a good, strong Southern Baptist church. And I'm telling you, the preachers that I heard um, talked about God, what? Changing his Saul's name to Paul, right? That did not happen, okay? God didn't change Saul's name to Paul. Two different languages, and one language is Saul, one name is Paul, okay? So they're interchangeable. There was no miraculous changing of a name. Yes, there was a miraculous saving of Saul. There was, he blinded Saul, and, and then he gave Saul his sight back, and Saul became a follower of Jesus. But Saul and Paul, same name, different languages. Track it with me. I've just jacked up many of your childhoods, but I understand that mine was too. And so we've fixed it here in 2024. Amen. God bless you all. Good night. Uh, <laughs> Verse 9 said, um, so Saul, who's also known as Paul, uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit. We, again, don't fight our battles uh, alone. We fight our battles on our knees, our spiritual battles, praying and asking for the help of the Holy Spirit. We ask for help. We can't do them on our own. It is futile for us to fight these battles on our own. And, and so the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. You hear us say this often. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is fighting with us and for us, helping us in our time of need. And if God is for us, what? Who can be against us? God is for us. Who can be against us? Verse, verse 10 says that, and said, you son of the devil, you, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and vanity, uh, villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? I'm telling you, I, I've said this before, I'll keep saying it again. Uh, examine who it is that you listen to. 
There are people who will make crooked the straight paths of the Lord and try to take you down a different thing. I've already talked about that, uh, but, but we'll, so we'll go on. Um, verse 11 and 12, the scripture tells us that vengeance of the Lord came upon this false teacher. He was blinded immediately, and he had, the Bible says that he went about seeking people who would lead him by the hand. How quick did this happen? Immediately, verse 11 tells us. I love this response in the face of evil. Immediately. Immediately something happened. Immediately the Holy Spirit intervened. Whenever you are facing evil or you're facing uncertainty or you're facing opposition, pray and ask the Holy Spirit for help. He is real. He is alive. He is not the forgotten God that is just out there somewhere. He, if you're a follower of Jesus, he lives within you. He is at your hand. He wants you to ask him for help. He will help you in those times. The power of the Holy Spirit, which is part of the Godhead who holds the universe together, will help you in your time of despair and your time of need. That's awesome. Then verse 12 says this. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. He wasn't astonished with the people bringing the message. He wasn't astonished with anything. Else. What does the Bible say he was astonished with? The teaching of the Lord. Which means he was astonished that the scriptures were being said. He was astonished that the gospel was being declared. He was astonished that the Bible was coming to life. He was astonished that he saw the work of God, the hand of God immediately uh, make his enemy, one, exposed, and then not able to do anything. He was astonished. Are you astonished? I mean, really, do you get astonished with the Lord just the fact that he has rescued you from sin and death, he didn't have to do it. Do you, you see that, church? He didn't have to rescue any of us. If you're a Christian, he didn't have to choose you. He didn't have to awaken you to the gospel. He didn't have to put you in a place to hear the gospel proclaimed. He didn't have to awaken your dead heart to life. He didn't have to do those things, but he chose to out of his good graciousness, his kindness toward you. Let's be people who are astonished with that. Let's don't ever lose our childlike faith in believing and seeing and wonder at the fact, why would God choose me? Why would God choose an, an, a broken down, sinful man like I am, but really, really was indulging myself in years ago? There, were, there was no reason for him to choose me. There was no reason for him to awaken my eyes to the gospel. Yet he did, and he did the same thing for many of you. So what do, what do we do with all this? The truth is that we learn here in, in chapter 13 that people worshiped, they were together and people were worshiping the Lord. They fasted, they sought the Lord. The Lord spoke to them. The Lord gave them a word of what they wanted to do. They discerned what is true through prayer and fasting and they sent people out. Who sends people out? The Lord sends people out. 
We see it, we get to be part of it whenever he does it. We send people out regularly. Larry McBee is a guy that we send out regularly. He goes, the Lord sends him. We support the work that he is already doing. We support some people that grew up here in Memphis at another church that I knew that are planting a church out in Washington. One of the most godless states in the United States. And they're planting a church in a very, very difficult place. You, you support them with your giving. We send them money regularly to try to keep doing what they're doing out there. To keep proclaiming the good news of the gospel. I get regular updates from him just talking about small, small victories where people, he talks about Satanists and people that don't believe that walk into their building and go, I don't know what it is, but I want to kind of hang out with you. That's gigantic. You know why? Because they love and care for people. They preach the gospel unashamedly and they love people and welcome them in. Let's be those kind of people, church. Let's be those regularly. Who does this work? Yes, we read that you do the work, but the Holy Spirit does the work within you. How do we do that, preacher? We use the tools of grace by prayer and fasting and, and hearing the word and, and lining up, make sure what we hear lines up with Scripture. And then we go and we begin to exercise those things that we learn together. Whether you're learning it here as we declare the word from the pulpit, you're learning it in your gospel community groups, you're learning it in student ministry, wherever you're learning it in your home, whatever those things are, let's don't be people that just ingest the Bible over and over again. That's great. But let's let it transform us and change us and cause us to be the people that God calls us to be. Know that you're going to encounter false prophets just like they did in the day, trying to turn people away from God, trying to turn you away from the Lord. It happens all the time. Verse 10, I'll tell you what verse 10 says again. Uh, Paul said this to this, this same person, and you might have to be just as strong when you encounter someone who's trying to lead you away from the Lord, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Sometimes you may just have to be that strong in what it is that you say. And upon seeing what happened, this proconsul was astonished at the work and believed what he saw and trusted in the Lord. That's our hope for every one of you here. If you're outside the household of faith, we want you to be astonished with Jesus. Not with refuge, not with music, not with me, not with anything other than Jesus. He's the one that makes this happen. He's the one that laid his life down for us. He's the one who was raised from the dead. He's the one who has conquered sin and death and hell. He is the one who gives you life eternal. When we trust in his finished work on the cross, his sinless life that you and I can't live. His death to shed his blood. Because the Bible says without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins. Him being raised from the dead three days later. Overcoming death and hell and the grave which gives us who trust in him that same hope. And that he is ever at the right hand of God interceding on yours and my behalf. Think about that. Jesus knows you, Christian. And is at the right hand of the Father talking to God the Father about you. That's nuts. And awesome. Five things and I'll be done. Do the work of the Lord. Okay? Set in your mind to do 
the work of the Lord. Discern what is true and what is false. Ask the Lord for discernment. Be discerning. Display the fruit of the gospel in your life. People should look at you and know that you follow Jesus. The fruit of the gospel should overflow out of your life in, in people that you encounter. Declare the message of the gospel. If you don't know what it is, learn how to declare the gospel. Learn how to share your faith with others. You will reach many people that I'll never reach. You will be able to share the gospel with people that will never walk in the, place of, in the doors of Refuge Church, that some people around you will never get the opportunity to speak to face to face. But declare the message of the gospel. Do not be ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And trust the good news of the gospel to do just what it did in our text today, to astonish you and to astonish others that they may turn to Jesus. That's my hope for us, Refuge. Let it be done in all of us. Let's pray.